0: You get a measure of the power of literature from the way uh, totalitarian regimes uh, try to ban them or burn them. But what happens when great writers are silenced not by force, but by indifference, by neglect? Azhar Nafisi has had a front row seat in both realities, in the country of her birth, Iran, and now in her adopted home, the U.S., And she urges those of us, in seemingly robust democracies, not to seek out books that make us comfortable, but instead to read dangerously. She writes, and I quote, "'Reading does not necessarily lead to direct political action, but it fosters a mindset that questions and doubts, that is not content with the establishment or the established.'" Now, you might well be familiar with her previous books, particularly the New York Times bestseller Reading Lolita in Tehran. Her latest is Read Dangerously The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times, and is in welcoming to the Little Wireless program, and maybe so with considerable pride, that quite a few of the writers on your dangerous list have been guests on the program in the past. Ray Oh, Brad- how wonderful. Well, Ray Bradbury decades ago, Selman Rushdie, ah. Margaret Atwood. So you are among friends. But let's begin by hearing about your life, please. Would you introduce us to your marvellous father, and the democratic approach he took to reading to you as a child.
1: Yeah, my father, one of the unique aspects of my father was uh, how he treated me and my brother always, ever since I became conscious of myself and of the world. He treated us equally. We never had from him edicts and... uh, Uh, you know, advice, we we always had with him conversations and uh, those conversations began with him Uh, when I was about three, three and a half years old uh, with him telling me stories and he was very democratic in his telling of the stories. Uh, He was very diverse uh, in the stories he told us. So one night uh, I would travel with him to the land of uh, our uh, great epic poet Ferdowsi who lived a thousand years ago. The next night we would go to France with the little prince, go to England with uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland, Denmark with Little Match Girl, (laughs) U.S. with Charlotte's (laughs) Web. And, you know, at that age, I realised through these stories that I can stay in my little room in Tehran and the world will come to me.
0: Now, the the book is essentially (laughs) a series of letters to this marvellous father And as a continuation of the ritual, you kept up throughout his life and often through troubled times.
1: Yes, uh, I remember when I uh, was only 13, they sent me to uh, Britain uh, to continue my studies and, as my parents put it, uh, to become independent both in my thinking and in terms of my life Uh, and I was so uh, bereft I mean I couldn't believe that you can lose everyone and everything you love at the drop of an eyelid the way I lost it when I was um, sent to England and uh the way that I coped with that uh was something that I did throughout my life. Uh, I created a portable world for myself, a world that cannot be taken away from me by anything in reality. And in that portable world, I took three books. Uh, I took the best that Iran had to offer, his poets. Uh, uh, Two of them were Hafez and Rumi, the great classical Persian poets, and one was um, a feminist, Persian poet whom I loved throughout my life. And uh, with these poems at nights I would be reading um, them and going back to my Iran uh, and making myself at home in their poetry. And the way I made my home in England and later in the United States was by reading them. It was Austin and Auden and uh, Melville and Twain and um, uh, later on James Baldwin and uh, Toni Morrison. These were the people who were my kith and kin. And uh, before I went to America or to England, I had been to the imaginary England and America. Uh,
0: There was also the time, of course, when your father was a political prisoner for four years.
1: Yes, yes, my father was great at his job. He was mayor of Tehran and one of the most popular ones and the youngest mayor. Uh, but he, I really don't think he was made for politics. He, he wasn't a good politician, whatever that is. Um, he uh, spoke his mind and uh, did what he felt was right, regardless of what uh, others uh, told him. And he made two very powerful enemies, the prime minister and the minister of the uh, interior. Uh, And uh, they created some trumped up charges against him and put him in temporary jail. He was told several times that uh, he can uh, come out of jail if he said that he was sorry. And he said that uh, he wanted to have his day in court. And so they kept him in what they called the temporary jail for four years. And then they didn't know what to do with him. So in the end, he did have his day in court. He did defend himself. Uh, He began his defense with a poem from uh, our epic poet, Ferdowsi. And his uh, defense is filled with poetry, both from Iran and around the world. And he was exonerated of all charges.
0: That's the most wonderful story now you <laughs> returned to Iran in seventy nine after the revolution. Yeah. What was it like trying to teach literature in that context?
1: Oh my God, it was you know first of all uh, i I had to constantly go through this struggle with uh, the officials uh, at at the university because um, of the books I taught. But I, at the same time, learned that the things that I couldn't say Uh, For example, I couldn't talk about totalitarianism and democracy uh, or lack of freedom of choice in Iran, but I could talk to them through these stories. And I could connect my students to the world through their art and literature. So everything that I taught... I was trying to show them the democratic structure of the novel. For novel is uh, one of the greatest vehicles for democracy. It is structure is democratic. In a great novel, you have different characters who are, um, have come, come to you from different places and different beliefs. And uh, each of these characters has his or her own voice. Even the villain gets the voice. And uh, a bad writer is like a dictator, He wants to impose his voice, his message upon everyone around him. And so I use the works of fiction in order to teach my students what democracy meant.
0: I'd like you to tell us about your, um, your book club in your home where you taught forbidden texts, including Lolita, which you saw as some sort of metaphor.
1: Yes, uh, Lolita I saw as a metaphor for uh, against all tyrannical regimes. Uh, Lolita is not a political novel, but what Nabokov does in his best work is he targets a totalitarian and absolutist mindset. And the narrator in Lolita, Humbert Humbert, who imposes his own dreams, his own pigment of imag- his own uh, desires on a 12-year-old orphan girl, raping her every night for two years. But the whole point about uh, the crime that Humbert, Humbert commits is the fact that he takes away from Lolita her identity, her individuality, her childhood and imposes upon her his own dreams, his own desires. He turns Lolita into a figment of his imagination. And my students could very well understand this because the Islamic regime did exactly the same thing with women in Iran, mm. trying to impose its own figment of imagination upon um, women of Iran. and to this day, women are fighting and refusing to comply with the images that the regime has tried to create for them.
0: You also are able to get a smuggled copy of uh, of Rushdie's uh, Satanic verses. But you don't see that book as being dangerous because of its criticism of Islam but simply because it's thought-provoking. It
1: is, that is the whole point. And that is what um, really makes me afraid uh, right now in uh, my other home, the United States. The fact that we evade thinking. We evade feeling. Uh, at the end of reading Lolita, I mentioned uh, Saul Bellow talking about the fact that um, in totalitarian societies, um, violence is so obvious. But uh, in a democracy, we don't put uh, our writers in jail or, or torture them or kill them. But he said what threatens a democracy is its sleeping consciousness and its atrophy of feeling.
0: One of, one of the books you suggest we read is uh, Bradbury's uh, brilliant 1953 novel, Fahrenheit 451, and uh, over 30 years ago I had the, the privilege on this program of discussing that book with him. It wow. is, of course, the, the Temperature at Which Paper Burns. Hmm. yeah
1: yeah he he is amazing uh he predicted where a democracy could go uh, if it becomes indifferent towards literature and thought
0: in many uh, ways it's as prescient as all, isn't it?
1: Oh yes, he is prescient definitely. And uh, he not only is prescient when it comes to uh, the totalitarian tendencies within a democracy, but also um, about the gadgets we carry. Uh, The fact that we are more and more isolating ourselves, dehumanising ourselves through these gadgets, through paying more attention to the reality they offer rather than reality itself.
0: It's interesting, isn't it, that in that book, uh, anyone with a book has their house burnt down effectively, so people become books. They memorise, they choose a text and they memorise it. And in a way, it's getting to that point again.
1: Yes, it is getting to that point again. And, uh, you know, Ray Bradbury uh, said that uh, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. All you have to do is to get people not to read Because, you see, we want to be complacent. We don't want to be bothered, disturbed. As James Baldwin used to say, artists are here to disturb the peace. That's what I tell the young people, um, that you are here to be disturbed. Uh, but but they are being taught that no you are here to be comfortable you are here not to see the complexities the ambiguities of life the paradoxes the contradictions that is life and uh, so uh, i think that we are in a very dangerous transitional point
0: the the great strength of baldwin And you point this out, is instead of trying to provide answers, he constantly asked questions.
1: Yes, and I feel that a great reader is the one who poses himself as a question mark. I mean... It is so much easier to criticise the world or criticise others. But reading should become a mirror in which we look at ourselves and some of the things we see we don't like.
0: Now, another guest on the programme was the marvellous Margaret Atwood and uh, she, like you, now sees The Handmaid's Tale coming true with with the attack on abortion rights in the US.
1: Of course, as I mentioned in this book, I think that The Handmaid's Tale, Atwood had an eye towards the Islamic Republic of Iran as well. Um, she creates that kind of atmosphere so masterfully. And um, uh, she saw, she most probably saw the trends in the United States, uh, the extreme polarization where one segment of society sees the other segment as the enemy of the people. This is such a Stalinist language to be using in a democracy.
0: There's one author and a book that I do not know and that's Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Were Watching God. Why is that dangerous?
1: Oh, Zora Neale Hurston lived in the first half of 20th century in America. Uh, She was doubly oppressed as a woman and as an African-American woman and uh, at that time, it was uh, in the 30s when she was writing, uh, political writing was very much uh, the trend. She refused to be political. And yet she created the most subversive character as her protagonist. She produced a woman who was both um, black black and, uh, and, and a woman and she refused to become both what uh, the white society expected of her as well as her own people. Zora Neale Hurston in Janie Crawford creates an, a very independent woman uh, whom... Uh, in Thirties America. She mar- she lives with. She falls in love with, and marries a man who is um, over a decade or two uh, younger than she is. So she becomes a very subversive figure.
0: Well, as you say, she's not political. She transcends politics.
1: Yes, yes, and that is the whole point of fiction that it does not pander to politics or does not become a handmaid to politics. Fiction, you know, at least three novelists in my book, um, uh, Margaret Atwood, uh, James Baldwin, and uh, David Grossman, consider themselves as writers to be witnesses. They are witnesses to truth. What a writer is after is not some formula that everybody knows about, not some platitude, not some message, political message. They are after the truth. And truth is always dangerous to a totalitarian mindset, because whether you live in a democracy or whether you live in a totalitarian society, totalitarian mindsets feed on lies. That is how they keep control.
0: You, are, you and I are talking at a time when book banning, approaching book burning, is on an unprecedented scale yes. in the United States.
1: Yes. You know, one of the signs of totalitarianism is that they first target women, minorities and culture. And books have become the canaries in the mind. You want to know how free the country is. You go to uh, the way we're treating uh, uh, imagination and ideas. And banning books uh, is the first sign.
0: And about 1,500 books that we know of have been banned quite recently.
1: I mean, it's mind-boggling. Did you ever imagine that you would be told what to read and what not to read? Um, what to write and what not to write, Uh, that is the stage we we are entering. And uh, I believe we need to create subversive book groups throughout the country.
0: Well, this is important because you end the book by talking about the collective power of readers, what you see as the responsibility of readers. And what message would you like us to take away?
1: Yes, the responsibility of readers at this point is to try to create means of communication within the communities talking about censorship and banning books and uh, the importance of imagination and ideas. Uh, Readers uh, have, you know, readers and writers uh, are uh, like intimate strangers. They are motivated by the same passions and by the same desires. And it's not enough uh, to just read books at this point. I think we do need to create... Collective book groups.
0: Azar, it's been a, a, a privilege to talk to you, and thank you very much for your it's time. It's been
1: a pleasure and privilege to talk to you as well. Thank you.
0: My guest has been Azar Nafisi, the author of *Reading Lolita in Tehran*, and we've been talking about her latest book, *Read Dangerously: The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times*, published by by Harper Collins.